It's Mental Health Chat Monday, the new and improved version, honey. This is the uh, series where we sit down with a brand new guest every single week and discuss their journey with mental health and mental wellness. Because here on Mental Health Chat Monday, our motto is turning mental illness into mental wellness. I am your host, Dita Bionic. Thank you so much for joining me and tuning in today. If you want to know, know more about me, all of my links are down below. Y'all already know how this goes. You've watched several many of these episodes at this point. Uh, but that is not why we're here today. To here we are to here today we are here with a phenomenally talented artist, writer, and someone that I met off oh, what five, six, ten, twelve years ago. Yes. Really long I time ago. I can't even ago. remember sometimes hardly. <laughs> You've always been there. I, it feels that way <laughs> sometimes. That way, yeah. Yes. Shannon Geyer is here with us today. Hello. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank oh, you. Wonderful. How long has it been since we actually have seen each other outside of you coming to my job? To eat? Yes, that has been years and years. And I come to your job to see you. I also like the food, which is a bonus. And food is one really of the few good. places I can get macarons. But you are the main reason that oh, I have them. Oh, well, thank you. So, um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Obviously, we met doing theater. We did. We did. I saw you doing theater before, I think, before I started doing theater. You were in a show called Am I Black Enough Yet? Oh, my God. Yes. The and infamous. I, yes. And I did not know you. And then I think it was a few months later. I think it was one of those 24-hour play festivals. It was outside the church. Uh -huh. And I just told you I really enjoyed you in that. And you were very kind about it. And after that, I have no idea. I don't know if it's when you auditioned to be in my show, Fat, or I think so. maybe that was it. And we became, you know, very fast, close friends. Very fast, close friends. I'm yes. pretty sure it was Fat. Because when I read the script for that show, I forget how I even found out about it. I don't even know how I got to be, like... Well, I just threw out all over Facebook that I was putting the show together because in the beginning, as of in the end, I don't know that it's ended, but it's it's me. And, yeah. you know, now I have a producing partner, Elaine, but it, now it's just the two of us and we haven't done anything in quite a while, but it's always been, you know, held together with duct tape and prayers. Not all we Listen, can do. But, that's how my life is. Yeah, duct but I do remember prayers. you doing... Uh, <laughs> You doing a recorded scene and your mom was the other oh, character. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so this is pre-pandemic. Very pre-pandemic. Very pre-pandemic. Yes. And I, I remember the video audition. I was uh -huh. like, I was really nervous about it because yeah. I had never done a video audition before. That was 2017 is when we did that. Yeah. So it would have been 2015, 2016 when I saw you in the other shows. Yeah. But yeah, Am I Black Enough Yet is how I got my man. A different friend is a mutual friend of Ronnie and I's, and she introduced us almost four years ago now. Aww. And now we live in this Halloween haven together. <laughs> it is beautiful. <laughs> Y'all see it sometimes in the background. You can obviously see we have Elvira spooky. and Spooky. My potions, booze, oh, and elixirs. Are you pro Kylie dressing up as Elvira or anti Kylie dressing up you as know, Elvira? You know, I, I don't care for Kylie. I think. I don't really see the point of her as a person. How? <laughs> Waste of flesh. Woo! That was shady. Um, however, I thought she looked stunning. She did. She I did. thought she looked really good. I, I'm not going to. I am not one to discredit somebody's mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. I love Halloween. Halloween is my time of year. Yes. Clearly. Yes. But I was I was very impressed. She did. She, she did good. She went all out. She did good. Yes. Definitely. So, I like to start these episodes with a very important question. Mm -hmm. Mental health check. 
How is your mental health today? How is 2023 treating you so far? We're a little over a month in. <laughs> yeah. A month and a week. Yeah. I think mostly it's going pretty well. Each day I have to accept that I'm almost 53 years old and my body is reminding me all the time that I'm 53 <laughs> years old and I was talking to you about having cortisone shots in my knees and now my now my shin is starting to burn when I drive and I'll pull my seatbelt out and I'll get a pain in the this is what we do kids in their 50s as we do <laughs> how are you well let me tell you well let me Fall tell you apart. but mentally I'd say I'm mostly doing okay as I was telling you I have some new responsibilities at my work mm-hmm. And I am excited about them, and I want to do well, and I love being knowledgeable about things, but also I get a little panicked at not being knowledgeable about things, and that causes me to procrastinate because I get that instant sense of relief when I put it off because that's future Shannon's problem. (laughs) I know the consequences. I know all the bad things that are going to happen when I've done this. Again, fifty, almost 53 years old. Mm-hmm. But that one minute of uh, future Shannon's problem, it, it just gets me every time. But yeah. I'd say you're mostly doing doing pretty well. Good. I love to hear that you're doing well. I also love to hear that I'm not the only one that procrastinates. <laughs> yeah. Not that I think it is a unique problem by any means. No. But it really, especially like in the workplace, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. You seem to love your job. You, you love what you do. I, if you work with me at the Blue Duck, pause or skip a couple seconds. I hate it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. And not because of where I work or who I work with. I love right. the people I work with. I love the place that I work. But yeah. it's that service industry thing where I'm like going through the cycle of not loving it. Right. I don't think I've ever really truly loved it. Mm. It's never been a passion of mine. I've never mm-hmm. been like, yes, waiting tables. But, you know, it's convenient, it's easy, and it works with my schedule. And right. I've been at this place for six years. But I'm really like, like yeah. going into work every day being like, all right, <laughs> we got this. Yeah. Well, I've been in my job for 16 years in April. And Congratulations. I thank you. I I enjoy it. Some days are better than others. I wouldn't say it's a passion. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know people whose jobs are their passions mm-hmm. and while that's great, I've also seen how that can affect the rest of their life. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. How everything's about that passion and they don't. So I I tell my daughter, who's also in the food industry and also hates it, that mm-hmm. you can find a passion and make that your life center. And if you're lucky enough to make a living at it, that's fine. Or you can find a job like I have. I don't work nights. I don't work weekends. I log off and then I go do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. So that's that's nice, too. But I am kind of behind the scenes of helping people a little bit sometimes. So yeah. that, that's, that's helpful, too. Uh, you know, I don't hate my job, but it's not like... I do get up every day because I work from home and will continue to work from home. That is very nice. That is yeah. super nice. That yeah. part of it, I really wish I could yeah. wait tables from home. <laughs> <laughs> Just hit me like a... Like a Knock uh, on the door. Hi, I need, I need a sandwich. And a <laughs> okay, I'll get that in for you. We have tablets now at work. I think it's... I you think need to Instacart your job. Yes, out. absolutely. They just need to tell me... Yeah. All I need. All they have to do is tell me we're replacing humans with robots. And I'll be like, I can voice act for the robots. There you go. Hello. Welcome to... <laughs> well, I think the robots can do that themselves. They need you to be the real voice. Like, welcome. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Hello. 
I'll give him the sensual voice. Hello. Hello. It puts the lotion on its skin. We've crossed. We've crossed. Yeah, sorry. No, wait. Backpedal, backpedal. On the vein, I'll deviate a little bit from my... I really like the way these have been going. I'll deviate a little bit from my structure here and talk about a little bit about... Passion and procrastination and mm-hmm. how those things can kind of affect uh, your mental health, especially when it comes to the things you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you speak to my production partner, Elaine, she will tell you that I typically have, well, we have had have we're still trying to figure out the future but because why not theater company is the theater company that i started and then she joined me as my production partner and i typically she will tell you she's directed most of the plays have the script done uh, about a week after auditions i'll usually get enough together to get her the auditions mm-hmm. and that drives her up the wall you know not that yeah. she's you know she can procrastinate everyone can procrastinate but she's like i i need something we're gonna have rehearsals we're gonna have people here they have to have something to act out so, yeah. and and it is it just it i i don't know you know again it's that it's that whatever the endorphin that there whatever lets go in your brain when mm-hmm. you're like okay future shannon's problem i'm just gonna you know i don't want to worry about it and there's absolutely fear under all that procrastination mm-hmm. fear of it not being good enough fear of it you know being wrong or people not accept whatever it is there's always fear under the procrastination but again i feel like i've been lucky enough in my job that um if you're with ascension please hit pause right there. <laughs> <laughs> please skip if i if i decide at 11 o'clock in the morning you know i have a really good idea and right now there's you know i don't have any meetings i can stop and just type out my you know type out my whatever i'm thinking and so that's that's definitely a plus but yeah i mean i was i was I didn't do anything with theater and hardly anything with the writing until I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, it just one day I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start writing. And then I started going to all the shows. And every time I go to a show, I get the program and I Facebook friend everybody. And that's probably another way we mm-hmm. met. And and it was just like, oh, you know, I know some people who write and they're trying to get it produced. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to wait around for somebody to tell me that I'm allowed to do this. Uh-huh. So I started doing it. And for... I guess five or six years it was just amazing and and now I don't know you know COVID hit and I'm not sure I'm not sure what the next step is if it's you know continuing to produce plays or if it's writing plays trying to get someone else to produce them Mm -hmm. I I have it in my mind that I'm really interested in you know kind of kind of virtual meetings and you know people can jump on and read poetry or they can you know you can email them the script and they can and a lot of people are kind of down on that oh well if you don't have the audience in front of you that and I can see that from a certain perspective but I also think that you know you can get somebody in California who has no other way to get their yeah. art out there and you can stick them on a camera and however, you know, 10 people or 100 people can watch them. I think that's something that not enough people have continued to do mm-hmm. as the pandemic has slightly wound down. Yeah, I I think virtual theater and, and performance is still really, really important. I know a lot of people who are, especially in like, um, I have recently become acquainted with a few drag queens who do shows like they Mm -hmm. have like a monthly show or something at um crack fox Mm -hmm. and one of my good friends that i met doing film 
um, lives like in another country and was able to perform right. as a part of their show right. virtually. Yeah. And I was like, are you going to be in town? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then I saw that they would be here virtually. I was like, that's incredible. It is. It it's is. a great way to get your, like you said, to get yourself out to yeah. be on a stage, to get to know more people. Right. Don't talk down on virtual. Yeah. And I have started going back to some shows here and there, probably mm-hmm. not like I used to, but you know, I'll be like, oh, here's a show, you know, a local show, small theater, and I'm excited about it. And then like, oh, we're shutting down for a week because everybody got COVID. And it's like, well, COVID's still out there. And that doesn't happen a lot on, vir- yeah. <laughs> on virtual. I can sneeze all over my screen and nobody, uh-huh. nobody's sick. So, oh yeah, just, you know, again, kind of also procrastinating a little bit about what to do next i you know not not really a hundred percent sure and some days again that's a little bit of a relief and some days it 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 can be a little bit uh anxiety causing because i'm like you know was it was it seriously just that you know just those five years and now move on to something else or you know i don't know yeah it's scary coming out of you know a time where we really couldn't produce anything Mm -hmm. if it wasn't virtual right um, and for me, I, I have two scripts that I've been working on that <laughs> working on <laughs> talk about procrastination. Yes. Every time I think about sitting down to work on it, something else comes yes. into my brain. And I kind of have that, I, I don't want to say opposite thing, but like, I have so many ideas mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. that I'm like, Ooh, I can do all <laughs> these things. And it's like, realistically, right. I cannot do all of these right, things. Right. But also I'm a Capricorn. So realistically, <laughs> I can do all of these things. I just won't sleep. No, uh, yeah. Um, or enjoy quality time with anybody. Sure. But the things will be done. Yes, they will. And there will be an endless stream of things. <laughs> Team Capricorn. Team. Mom. <laughs> yep. We get it. Get Capricorns get her done. Uh-huh. Um, so, <laughs> I had a question and I completely blanked on what it was. Um, talk to me about, so as a writer, mm-hmm. writer to writer, yes. um, I know that a lot of my mental illness has informed my writing, whether it's plays or music. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about how your mental illness has informed your writing. Well, the first thing... I wrote was a play called Fat. Mm-hmm. Fat has come through a couple of different versions, but it's beautiful probably piece. Hmm? beautiful piece. Oh, thank you, Absolutely thank you beautiful. so much, thank you. It's all in who acts in your show. <laughs> you gotta have good words to act out. That's true, but if you've got words and nobody to act them and nobody to direct them and no sets, then it's just it. I mean, it's a book, but that's a whole. Other <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, so that was probably one of my most autobiographical uh, books, plays. (laughs) And it deals a lot with body image and people of larger size and society and families and how they deal with all that. Mm -hmm. That was very personal to me because I have had have an eating disorder and I don't know I probably had it my whole life and I grew up around people who were always shaming me for my larger size starting when I was like five years old and and just on and on you know society as a whole people Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of acceptance most people don't have a lot of acceptance for people of larger size the space they take up Mm -hmm. And so that piece was very personal to me. And it was very interesting because I 
in the mid-aughts, I guess, I joined a 12-step program mm-hmm. and for compulsive overeaters. And I really just kind of threw my life into that. I was just doing everything. I was like leading retreats and, you know, speaking to people, which I love to public speak. And I would run meetings and I would start meetings and, you know, all of this. And so when I first produced fat, I was probably 100 pounds lighter than I am now. I'd lost a lot of weight, and literally the world lined up to tell me how wonderful I was, how amazing, amazing. what are you doing? Oh, my God, it's so perfect. And and it was even more, you know, important for all of them because I'd spent most of my life kind of yo-yoing, and I was usually of larger size. And so that's where I was in the midst of the 12-step program, in the midst of, you know, being thin and the world's my oyster. That's where I was the first time I produced it. Mm-hmm. A few years later when I produced it, I had put on a significant amount of weight. I had left the 12-step program. And so it was a, a couple of little things changed. A couple of little scenes were added, but it was really just looking at it so differently from mm-hmm. my perspective. And... But yeah, I think that that's definitely getting that out there is something that that is is definitely important to me and and is helpful to me. Yeah, I did a, a play about um, ethical non-monogamy. You know, that's something that that I experience and something that I enjoyed getting out there. I did a, a show about um, the dreamers and you know, oh yeah, I people. remember that one. That was that was something that I kind of got stressed out about watching on the on the news and reading in the paper. So you know, just just things that. I really want to put things out there that other people aren't really talking about. Mm -hmm. And I want to put it out in a way that people will talk about it, you know, even if they're leaving. And, you know, that's my favorite part of a play, going and watching it and leaving and saying, that was the best play I've ever seen. And the person next to me goes, wow, were you on drugs? That was the worst play. And talking, (laughs) that is my favorite part of actually any show is talking about it after Uh and all the different things that it meant. And I, I, that's what I wanted to put out there. And so, yeah, I think what I'm writing about is definitely helpful in terms of, you know, something that might be bothering me, something that might be, whatever i'm getting it out there Mm -hmm. and hopefully other people are gonna say you know they don't have to say it was great but you know i have a really short story did you ever see the movie tootsie yes okay love tootsie love tootsie Mm -hmm. so dustin hoffman lives with bill murray bill murray is a playwright Mm -hmm. okay and this was all played for laughs back in 1979 he's talking to people at this party and he's you know bill murray but he's like i don't want you know, I don't want a hundred people to come to my play. I want ten people who've just come in out of the worst rainstorm of their life to see my play. Because I don't want somebody to come up to me right after the play and say, I loved your play, I cried. I want somebody to come up to me two weeks later and say, I saw your play. What happened? And it was it just meant it's meant as a joke and it's just stupid Bill Murray. But I'm like, it's Yeah, so that's exactly I want somebody to come up to me, you know, I had somebody at the first that you know some stranger came up to me sobbing and threw her arms around me and then the next night she said i had to bring my husband and she did mm-hmm. and it was just it and those are really the things that that really touch me and and make me think that you know maybe i'm throwing a little bit of good out in the world hopefully yeah i relate to that so deeply because my whole point of being a creative person is mm-hmm educating starting those conversations right. that's why i do this podcast yeah. mental or my infinite sadness was mm-hmm. kind of like the talk Amazing facts show. Oh, thank, you, thank you thank you 
Uh, the talkbacks after that show are the reason I wanted to do this because I didn't know how I wanted to do it at the time, but I knew I wanted to do something to encourage the conversation on mental health. Yeah. Because it, we really just don't mm-hmm. talk about it. It's crazy from 2019 mm-hmm. to now 2023 how much has changed in the conversation of mental health. Yeah. Um, and I like to think I was a small part of that. I, was gonna say, I think you're absolutely <laughs> part like of that. I like to think I was absolutely. a little part of that. Um, but I, I want to play a role in ending the stigma and helping mm-hmm. all of us heal so that we all can get to a point where we can live together in harmony and peace and blah, 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 hippies, you know. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, I don't I don't think any kind of congressional, you know, legislative whatever is going to be, you know, solved because I wrote a play about immigration. Mm-hmm. But if somebody leaves, uh, I wrote a play with uh, River Downey, wonderful mm-hmm. artist, and she had given me some of her writings about her life um, dealing with sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual trafficking, her mm-hmm. own experiences. And I turned that into a play. So it was by both of us. And we were doing just like little pieces of it for, um, I don't know if it was for the Crawl Theater Crawl, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it was just one Coldest or two Coldest Winter Ever, right? Hmm? Coldest Winter Ever? Is that what um, it was? Or cold, it was Cold Summer. I should remember the name. <laughs> it has the word cold in it. Uh-huh. Cold Winter. Some Cold in Winter. But yeah. I remember. I yes. didn't get a chance to see yeah. it, but I do remember. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're just doing a scene or two. And it's about a grown man and a grown woman. But they were in a relationship when she was nine because her father basically gave her to this man you know and the whole thing around that and a woman in her 70s walked out she'd only seen two or three scenes and it was over and she walked out and she goes that was really good that doesn't really happen though does it i'm like yes ma'am it actually does does. this is all based on and she's like wow okay and right there that's it you know mm-hmm. that's that's one that's person she may not have walked away going i have to go get involved and then help but but she walked away knowing more than she knew when she came in mm-hmm. and that's something that's really important to me yeah i had something very similar happen at the french festival um with my infinite sadness i had a friend who came to see it um who was also performing in the festival and had a really long conversation afterwards um about unaliving or a suicide and everything like that mm-hmm. and um it brought a different understanding as to why it happened to someone close to her mm-hmm. and i was like that's what i want yeah exactly that's it that's the conversation i want right. to have because yep. it's uh i saw your play what happened what happened <laughs> love you bill <laughs> well let me tell you <laughs> um so if you are comfortable sharing uh, talk to me a little about about a little about about a little bit about <laughs> sharing is caring. <laughs> um, any diagnoses you may have received or mm-hmm. or and how how those diagnoses have kind of affected the way you go about the world and existence mm-hmm. and relationships and sure. such. Well, I was like I said I I think I probably had binge eating disorder most of my life, mm-hmm. um, and I was. Gosh, I went into still in the 12 step program, which, you know, I think that 12 steps is good for many people. I think that for me, it ended up not being a good thing, but I was so ingrained in that. I mean, I gave 10 to 12 years of my life to that 12 step program. So when I thought maybe I should go into like a treatment center, uh, outpatient treatment center for eating disorders and 
it didn't last very long. I wasn't really ready to hear it, uh, what they had to tell me. And they were trying to explain to me that, you know, binge eating disorder is an eating disorder, but food is not an addiction like alcohol and drugs is what they were trying to tell me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I believe that now. I, for myself personally, mm -hmm. I'm you know whatever anyone else believes, I completely respect that. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I'm like, yeah, no, you don't get it. You're completely wrong. And so I left that. And then um, I had a therapist, my uh, therapist I had for a while, and I was just beside myself mainly because I was becoming a larger size again. Mm -hmm. And that time at 160 pounds where everyone was lining up to tell me how wonderful I was, I truly believed that my self-worth had risen, my, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, in society and in my family and in everything that just had gone, had gone up and now it was all gone again, you know, and yeah. I had thrown it away and all that. And he just said to me, maybe you're good enough just the way you are. And it just kind of turned everything around because there were a lot of people saying that to me. And so then I ended up with a uh, therapist and a registered dietitian and a psychiatrist who were all certified in um, eating disorders. Mm -hmm. By the way, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist in the world. I can call myself one. Registered dietitians have the science. I just want to throw that out there. They're the ones who've done the work. I so. would have never known. Yep. There I'm a go. nutritionist, y'all. There you go. Yeah, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> Strike that from the yeah. record, please. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so just working with these three amazing women and really opening myself up to the fact that I did have an eating disorder and that, you know, that's that's what I was dealing with, not my weakness, not my lack of self-control, not anything else. And so the therapist told me to base my, basically base my health and my goals on three things, healthy metabolic function, how's your blood work, body acceptance, and joyful movement. And that's it. Doesn't matter the number on the scale. I don't own a scale, and I never thought I wouldn't own a scale. But I don't own a scale. Um, I went through the period when I was 160 pounds. I was vegan. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. I'm still a vegetarian, but I was vegan. Okay, whatever. I wasn't eating any kind of sugar, any kind of bread, nothing white. I was, and that's when I found out about um, what is it? Orthorexia, which is an eating disorder where you eat nothing but clean food. You're completely obsessed with clean food. So mm -hmm. I didn't realize I had that. And then that blew up and became the, the eating disorder. So I would say that's probably my, um, my diagnosis is the binge eating disorder. And then, you know, um, offshoots of that are some depression and then offshoots of that or whatever. I know on my doctor's report, it says that I've got depression and ADHD because the medicines I take for my binge eating disorder, they also help with that. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of one of my formal diagnosis, but it, I think it all really comes out of the binge eating disorder part of it. How do you think, or how do you feel, how do you see that, you know, life, prior to the diagnosis has, or nope, I'm mixing my words up. How do you feel or see that life after mm -hmm. the diagnosis has changed as to who you were before the diagnosis? Well, I am not going to say, oh my God, everything's perfect, because it's not, mm -hmm. but just being able to look myself in the mirror, not being, 
you know, I mean, I was literally disgusted with myself. You know, I put on 20 pounds since I was 160. Oh, my God, what a huge piece of shit. And you're just, you know, you're disgusting and you need to get back in the 12-step program. And just moving beyond that and saying, you know, because they don't really talk about this eating disorders in the 12-step program that I was in. Mm-hmm. But finding out that, you know, that that it's all okay, you know, and... I really want to ask people who say something about it, you know, and I'm a Toastmaster, so I love public speaking. So Mm -hmm. I I have a whole speech where I hold up a picture of myself at 160 and now, and I, and usually it's virtual. So I say, you know, if I was standing up in front of you and said, which of these women is smarter, funnier, sexier, more creative, a better mother, a better partner, a better employee, and, you know, nobody's going to say, obviously, the skinnier one's better. Nobody's going to say that. Right. But I know they're thinking But they're it. thinking it. You're right. Yeah. Exactly. Because I, if I stand up, and it's still on Facebook, social media, if I stand up in front of a group and say, what if I told you over the last year I've lost 100 pounds? People go batshit crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's, they don't even know me. Mm-hmm. But if I stand up and say, I gained 100 pounds, nobody's clapping. They're all going are we supposed to do oh my god what's what happening do do? what's, what's happening yeah. this is so awkward because that's the way it is thin is good and fat is bad it's been like that forever it's been like that since i was born mm-hmm. and it's still like that they knew 75 to 100 years ago that diets don't work yeah science has known that um doctors they have a study that says doctors spend 60 percent less time with patients of larger size than they do with their thin patients and they order fewer metabolic tests it just that's just the way that it is because i am not a woman of larger size i'm not a woman with an eating disorder i am fat i am lazy i you know i'm Mm -hmm. i'm not healthy i'm not clean i'm not you know there's probably some kind of smell coming it's just over and over again and I put this in the play fat, you probably may remember, because this happened to me. I'm walking down a hallway, and there's a large woman in front of me, don't know her, and a man and his eight-year-old son walked by her. Mm-hmm. And as they walked by me, he goes, they need to hide, the ho-. he said to his son, they need to widen the hallways for people like her. And they both started laughing. Oh, I remember that yeah. line. And I hope, oh. she didn't, yeah, I hope she didn't hear that. But, you know, what mm-hmm. he told that eight-year-old boy was, fat people are funny, You know, we're getting a little better as a society, a little better, um, depending on the day, Mm -hmm. about the jokes and the little jabs about sexual orientation and and race and ethnicity. But you look at friends, you look at Modern Family, you show up to a comedy club, fat people, ha, 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 oh, my God, fat people, ha, ha, ha. And it just doesn't stop. And I remember I shared something, and this was either right before fat like right before auditions or right before i got cast Mm -hmm. i don't remember but i shared something and in my mind Mm -hmm. it was innocent and it wasn't even necessarily taking a dig at fat people Mm -hmm. but you commented on it and i don't remember what the comment was i don't even Mm -hmm. remember what the post was Mm -hmm. but i was like huh i can see how that would be offensive yeah i'm sorry 
And like all it takes is one person to. It does. It it does. Right. And yeah, I mean, there are memes and there are funny things. So funny because, you know, I've got a, you know, I've got a fat girl appetite and I've got a thin girl wallet or whatever, something like that. Just all that stuff. And then, you know, I'm, I think probably the only back and forth attacked evil thing I got into on Facebook was with some guy who was a comedian and, you know, wanted to (laughs) go on about it. Um, did you ever watch Shrill with Lindy West? I never watched it, but okay. it has been suggested yeah, to me. Yeah, the book is great, and the TV show is great. So she is a woman of larger size, and she's smart, she's funny, and she's beautiful. That's the thing, is I look at women. I look at Lizzo. I look at Lindy West. Mm-hmm. I see women who are larger than me, and I go, wow, you are stunning. And I still have a little trouble saying that to myself, just mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But her boss would go on and on to her about, or to his company, about how the heavier people were, you know, doing stuff that were causing insurance problems and maybe they should do this and that and all this offensive stuff. Mm -hmm. Her boss was Dan Savage. It gets better. (laughs) Somebody who has done so much to change the world, Mm -hmm. sex positive, LGBTQ. I mean, the man is amazing. Mm -hmm. And he was abusive to his employees who were of larger size. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that right there, I'm just like, Okay. <laughs> that it's you know, and I don't think we talk enough about how eating disorders are uh, can yeah. be categorized in with mental illness. Oh, it's yeah. it's not something that people just go out and just like I'm gonna binge eat today and that's just what I'm gonna do and that's just who I am. <laughs> right. That's just I'm just quirky like that. Like right. no, it's it's truly something, and I can't I can't speak on it because I can't relate mm-hmm. or not that I can't relate, but I don't yeah. have that. But. I I can understand it's kind of similar to in a way to kind of like withholding yourself from joy like as a mm-hmm. thing that people do with depression like you right. you feel like you have let yourself and everybody around you down so you just oh, yeah. you don't get to have any joy no no. I, it, oof, oof. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And something the only thing I took away from the uh, outpatient facility i was in for eating disorders was comparison is the thief of joy mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah that's and that's it that's exactly it as if i'm looking around at other people you know and and i was raised in the 70s and the 80s by uh i mean my mother was only 19 when i was born and she looked like a model she mm-hmm. was just so glamorous and i was raised that you that you put makeup on and that you roll your hair and that you go out in high heels and all of this mm-hmm. and and you know I mean, obviously I'm not. <laughs> and that was that was something else. When, you know, COVID hit and I wasn't going into an office. And even before that, I gave away all my heels. I wear a size 12. So the, um, Desiree declined. She, she's got all my heels. <laughs> um, though I wear tennis shoes because I've got bad knees. And I've got, every once in a while, I put some makeup on. But I don't usually. And I just throw my hair up. And I'm like, you know, this is okay. I've, yeah. You know, I've, I've. You're still stunning and gorgeous. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yes, I love hearing that. You know, it it is a lot harder for us to compliment ourselves Mm -hmm. than it is to compliment other people. Mm -hmm. Especially when you've kind of beaten yourself up your whole entire life. Right, right. And I I don't understand like my daughter is twenty two and stunningly gorgeous and she's almost five nine and she weighs like 125 pounds and I've spent her entire life telling her that she's smart and she's funny and she's clever and mm-hmm. she's beautiful and she's got such low self-esteem mm-hmm. and I don't know where that came from 
you know, maybe Disney, maybe school, maybe on the streets and the magazines. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't have anybody like that, you know, really pushing me to accept me for me. Mm-hmm. And so pushing her to accept her for her and it's still coming out with the low self-esteem and the yeah. self-hatred and all that. I'm just like, I, I did the best that I could and that's kind of all <laughs> I could do. So. And, you know, I have similar conversations with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom did absolutely nothing to even um, to make me depressed, mm-hmm. to be to contribute to right. my depression yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. If anything, I look back on that time when I was in like the very depths of my depression I, and I see her as a shining light. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 30 years old now. I'm, I'm in a much happier place. Mm-hmm. She still sometimes is like, are you sure I was a good mom? Mm-hmm. Are you sure I, yeah. like, I don't understand. I don't know how I, I was like, mom, I, <laughs> yeah. first of all, I was a teenager, so right. we're good at hiding things. Right. As much as parents want to be like, I know everything. Okay, right. girl. <laughs> Does your mom suffer from depression at all? Yes. Okay. Yes. See, that's what I found hardest was because I didn't feel like I suffered with just straight on depression. I had some depressive moments with mm-hmm. my eating disorder and just what I think, you know, other people may have, but not being not having actual depression it made me it made it hard to understand kind of what my daughter was going through mm-hmm. um just stop being sad yeah what's the problem you know oh why why are you upset there's got to be a reason when i'm sad there's almost always a reason specifically yeah. something he said something something happened i i thought of an old memory and i had to come to the point it's like nothing happened no nothing happened sometimes you, know? you just hey, you were fine last night yeah and this morning i'm not mm-hmm. so that was something that i i had to get used to and, yeah. and really come to accept for and it was my, daughter. my mom having suffered with it was mm-hmm. definitely um a, a tool that i used mm-hmm. growing up because she understood mm-hmm. and i felt like i could talk to her yeah. about anything right once i finally came out that i was you know having these suicidal thoughts and i was yeah. all of that um once we finally had the real heart-to-heart conversation and she mm-hmm. was like look yeah this is this and this is that and yeah. I was like oh okay <laughs> you do get it like yeah. cause she never said just I mean I I pretended I never faked I never was sad I wasn't sad yeah. around her I was mm-hmm. always happy and having a good time and honestly I probably was right genuinely happy around my mom mm-hmm. but there was not really a time <laughs> right. there was not really a time until I was like 25 where I was like yeah <laughs> yeah this is the real smile mm-hmm. I like it <laughs> So, <clears throat> I want to kind of talk a little bit more about that. Uh, I'm not a parent. I have a bajillion nieces and nephews. You know this. <laughs> I love them all And he dearly. doesn't buy them presents anymore. I don't. Okay. I will tell the story. <laughs> so, my mom took my little, my, my sister's youngest daughter. She just turned six in November. Mm-hmm. Took her out for a girl's day. They got their nails done. And they wanted me to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get my nails done, obviously. My nail tech, my appointment is next week, and I'm, like, hiding my hands in my pockets until. Um, Please feel better about yours. <laughs> no, because, look, this one's gone. This one's coming off. This it's one eclectic. chipped. It's eclectic. <laughs> it's a mess is what it is. <laughs> um, but they, uh, <laughs> my sister's oldest will be 15 in like a couple days here um a couple days from recording not from posting this episode and 
she um, sent a screenshot in a group message with like myself, my sister, and my mom. And like, it's like, these are all the things that I want for my birthday. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> unless you're my man or my mama, <laughs> not, you're not getting the gift from me. I'm going to put my name on somebody else's gift. It's from Uncle and Mama. <laughs> and that's go. exactly what I did. I said, Mom, put my name on your gifts. It's from both of that's us. That's amazing. <laughs> And she was like, you're not going to get nothing. No, ma'am. Put my name on that gift. Put it. Put it. Uh, uncle. I think you're setting an expectation, though. She's going to think it's from you. And then next year, she's going to want more from you. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. And then if she comes asking next year, I'll be like, oh, no. Oh, no. I just had a. You know what? You don't pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> or insurance. Or insurance. Yeah, leave me alone. Um, but I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, um, I guess, parenting someone who has depression. How has that mm-hmm. affected your your mental wellness? Um, well, I feel like... <laughs> talk about somebody who's not here. My, my ex-husband, her father, I feel like he had a lot of mental issues. Mm-hmm. Just... You know, and that's not just me being bitter or bitchy, <laughs> but he did struggle a lot with mm-hmm. mental illness. And like I said, I was raised in the 70s and the 80s, and I watched all the TV shows and the movies and the <sighs> Disney movies and all that. So when someone you love has problems, then you help them fix them and you help them fix themselves mm-hmm. and you make them better and you never leave them and you stand beside them and support them. And I tried that. I tried all of that. And I had really hoped that he and I would kind of balance out as far as parenting, as Mm -hmm. far as I don't really suffer from depression. He does. He's got a lot of good qualities, but, you know. I have this, not philosophy, but, Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people who are both mentally unwell and mentally well, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I... The motto is, you can't use your mental illness as a reason to abuse me. And I, like you said that while you were talking, and I just, that stuck out to me. That's so important. Mm -hmm. As mentally ill people, I'm talking to us, don't, you, just because you have this affliction doesn't mean you can take it out on somebody else. Um, And I know a lot of the times it's not trying to take it out on that other person, Mm -hmm. but the best apology is change behavior. Right. And that's and that can be really hard for someone who doesn't normally have depression or anxiety. Okay, you're being verbally or mentally abusive. Mm -hmm. How much are you in control of your behavior? Yes. You know, and then I'm like, oh, well, he's going through an episode. They're going through an episode. So they're not responsible for this. And then they come out of it. And I was really with my first marriage. I was really in an abusive cycle. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm crying. I'm hysterically sobbing because I'm getting treated badly. And then he's better. And I'm so sorry. And that will never happen again. And I'll go see a therapist. Okay, great. And then a little something happens. Well, nobody's perfect. You gotta, you know, mm-hmm. and then it would start all over. And it really was a cycle because you don't know. And I remember telling a therapist, I said, you know, he does not act like this at work around his sister, who he's very concerned what she thinks of him, around his friends. Mm-hmm. You know, none of this behavior comes up out there. It's just with me. And the therapist said, well, 
you know, that's not okay, but also can you imagine his how much he's struggling to keep it together in those outside social situations, which I get, but at the same time, then it's like... Why are you loosening the reins with just exactly. me? Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, I feel like I should be able to be myself around you because I love you and because this is my home. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah, and, but know, that's... And, right. Abuse and is entire, not cute. Right. And it's entirely impossible to know, okay, are you in, a, in some kind of state where you don't really have control over this or are you manipulating me? Mm-hmm. And if I held a gun to your head, you would never admit you're manipulating me, you know, and of course not. I, you know, So it is, it is extremely difficult to it's super easy to set a boundary yeah living up to that boundary and continuing it is really really hard especially with someone you love but it also you have to kind of be i guess discerning and is this episode that's happening something that is harming me directly and Mm -hmm. intentionally Mm -hmm. even if it's an episode even if this is the mental illness that is in control is this intentionally directed towards me or is this person being vulnerable with me Mm -hmm. and letting me into their world because i i feel like a lot of times we get kind of mixed up on that difference when it comes to dealing with someone who has mental illness if somebody is letting their walls down and being vulnerable and it's hurtful and you just feel like I don't know what to do. What like right. that's completely different than them being like. Yes, that is. Yeah, I that hate is you. Yeah. You're the worst. Right. Don't, yeah. Like you're fat. <laughs> oh, I got that a lot too. Oh my god. Like, you know, it's fine. But yeah, yeah, that is that is definitely and again, it's one of those societal things. I don't think anybody's brought up except my daughter, who I've tried to tell her, you look out for you. Mm -hmm. That's so selfish. That's so hurtful. You got married for better or worse. You did, you know, you gave birth to this person. You have to be there all day, every day, forever and support them. And you have to watch out for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to watch out. And and it takes a long time to figure that out. You yeah. know, I don't expect my 22-year-old daughter to know all that. I'm saying, but I'm also saying you can fight with someone you love, but mm. you really have to step back and say, are they just angry about their side of the argument or are they being cruel while they're arguing? Mm-hmm. You know, and and you have to look at these things. Yeah. And and I had to get to a point myself where I'm just like, this is not serving me. This is not the life I want. This is not, this is hurtful and it's, you know, it's, it's very triggering and I just, I can't. And it took me so many years to do that and so many cycles of the abuse and so many everything, but you know, it was, it was the hardest thing I ever did. Mm -hmm. And it was the best thing I ever did for myself was leaving my first marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And my ex-husband who, again, he's got some good qualities. That was 14 years ago. He has never gotten remarried. He's had one brief relationship, and I don't even talk to him anymore because my daughter, I don't need to be in contact with him, but Mm -hmm. he's still pissed that I left him. And if you walked up to him, he'd go, I'm not sure what happened there. She just, you know, she just left all. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But again, that's his perception. That's his reality, and that's not my business. Yes. Um, So I want to jump to a quick question about... um, medication Mm -hmm. feel free to talk about how medication has affected your life and how it has helped you or Mm -hmm. harmed you or whatever um well when i started seeing a psychiatrist who was kind of dealing with the medication they put me on a medication that was she said they'd had some good results can't remember the name of it um some people with 
binge eating disorder had had some good luck on this. Mm -hmm. So I started taking it. Can't again, can't remember what it was called. And I, you know, it was supposed to kind of help curb some of the thoughts and the binge eating disorder and all that. I had zero thoughts or feelings about any kind of food whatsoever. Typically, if you walked up and said, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. I'd sit there and I'd go, I have no idea. I can't even come up with a thought, you know. And I wasn't starving myself. I was still eating, but I just it just did something to my whole body. So then they changed that and they put me on, um, I can't remember... Focalin? Is that an antidepressant, maybe? I don't know. The, the names on the bottles are sertraline and dexmethylphenidate. <laughs> no long name. One of them's for ADD, and one of them is for depression. Mm-hmm. And together, those have really helped me with my, um, with my binge eating disorder. And also, I feel like the one for ADD, I really do feel like that's helped me with my focus. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm... You know, I definitely feel like that. So, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't had any kind of long string of depressions. I would go through a short period of time where I just, everything would be bothering me and I'd just be crying. And that hasn't happened a lot either. So I feel like those two together were to help with the binge eating disorder. But they're helping a little bit in the other stuff, just kind of even me out. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the only two related to my mental health. I mean, I can tell you about my anti-inflammatory and about all my (laughs) old people vitamins. But... Nobody wants to hear that. So, here on Mental Health Chat Monday, like I said in the opening, we have a little a, a motto, a mantra. Mm-hmm. It's turning mental illness into mental wellness. Mm-hmm. What does mental wellness look like to you? Mental wellness looks like to me a balance. This is my tattoo. It's this Celtic sign for balance. <laughs> and and this is my tattoo. It's a pause sign. So it could also be equal, but it's a pause sign. Mm-hmm. So I have to pause and I need to make sure that I'm balancing out everything else with my own mental health, physical health, everything. I have to look out for myself. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said before, that's, you know, that's selfish. That's mean. That's terrible. I'm such a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I was raised from the time I was little to take care of people, to put their needs before my needs. And if I didn't, it was selfish. It was wrong. And that went well into my adulthood. And now I am, I find myself surrounded by people who accept me the way that I am, um, who love me the way that I am, and who understand that uh, I have to look out for myself Mm -hmm. and that my feelings, uh, you know, nobody can affect my feelings but me, you know, without my permission or something like that. I think I read that in the, what was it, the Effective People book or whatever, Highly Effective People, whatever it was. And, And I was probably in my 20s, and I think I just got married and said, you know, other people aren't responsible for your feelings. And I'm like, well, sure, if a stranger says something, I don't care. But if somebody I love says, hey, you're an idiot, you're a piece of shit, that, that's going to affect me. And now I'm like, no, it no, doesn't. not actually. You know, if you want to think that, you can. I'm not sure I want to hang around you if you're going to talk to me like that. Yeah. And and that's all just so, so different than how the first, gosh, probably three quarters of my life to this point went. It really is about looking out for myself, taking care of myself, and knowing that, you know, the big cliche, you can't put somebody else's mask on if your own mask isn't on on the airplane. But I'm no good to anybody. You know, I thought I was. I thought I was so busy and so Mm -hmm. whatever. But, you know, now that 
I'm really putting myself first, then I am, I feel like I'm so much better at parenting and being a romantic partner and being a life partner and being an employee is, it's really been, you know, it's not selfish and it's not wrong to put yourself first. I uh, have a saying, mm-hmm. be selfish. Mm-hmm. And I say that to all, I say that to everybody, tell everybody this, be selfish, mm-hmm. especially in your 20s. Mm-hmm. All the time, <laughs> be selfish, yeah. but especially mm-hmm. in your 20s, mm-hmm. because that is the time, it's weird that I can say this now that I'm in my 30s. <laughs> Now that I'm for the last six and a half hours, now, right? Now that I'm like not even a full month into my thirties, uh, no. But I, I, I encourage everyone around me to put themselves first. Mm-hmm. It is so important. Mm-hmm. I think Nick said in her in her episode, if if I don't put myself first, there will be no self left. Mm-hmm. And that hit me so hard because it really it, it's very true. You yeah. have to, right? You have to, right? And I think we need to take the the negative stigma behind the word selfish. Yep. Now, there are moments when you can be selfish and it is negative. There but are. we're not going to get into that. <laughs> no, we're not. When it comes to your mental health you and your you boundaries. <laughs> you know what you, you did. What you did. <laughs> or didn't do. <laughs> when it comes to your mental health and your boundaries, be selfish. Mm-hmm. Be selfish. Put yourself first. Always and forever. Be selfish. Be, be selfish. Like B-E-S-E-L-F-I-S-H. Be selfish. <laughs> My sister was a cheerleader. Yeah! <laughs> um, and, oh, oh, do I remember the question off the top of my head? Or do I? Yes. Um, last question. Okay. Leave us with, it's not really a question, it's more of a statement. Leave us with a piece of advice for allies. How can they be in our corner? How can they, um, better support us okay remember it's not about you Ooh. i would say remember it's not about you again the allies need to keep themselves you know mm-hmm. they, you know the allies need to keep themselves healthy and they need to you know get out of situations that might be abusive but you know, don't take stuff personally, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's super hard. It's super hard. If somebody's in the middle of an episode and they're screaming obscenities and screaming terrible things at you and the people who love you know how to push those buttons more than anybody, it's super hard to say, oh, I'm not taking that personally. I Just do your best to not take it personally. Do your best to, you know, take care of yourself and you know, try to meet someone where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, you've been to the therapist for two weeks. Why aren't you all better? <laughs> you know, you've been on that medication for six hours. Why are you still crying? You know, What's I, happening? Yeah, I would say definitely, definitely, uh, and take care of yourself. But, but yeah, meet somebody where they are, and and don't take it personally because um, it's not usually it's not about you. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that, and I try to take little pieces from what the guests say to name the episode. Yeah, and that was. Beautiful. I think that encompasses what this episode is about um, in in a very powerful way. Oh, well, thank you. Shannon, I love you. I love Moly you. hearts forever. Oh <laughs> You're the only person who ever sends me green hearts. And I'm like, because oh, I'm, I'm Irish and because I used to have red hair. 
and now they're moldy. That's okay. <laughs> I still love you. It's because they've been around for so long. The yes, love they is have. so We deep. don't even remember. We don't even day. remember. But yes, you are definitely. They it's a great podcast and a great idea, and I think you are doing so much for the world as a whole. And I hope you keep doing that forever. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Mental Health Chat Monday. I will be back next week with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on all the social media at Didier Bionic. I'm linked down below. You already know this. Didier Bionic on everything. It's called branding. Amazing. <laughs> Shannon, is there anything you want to plug before I fully sign this off? You know, right now, there's not a whole lot to plug. I, you know, I'll accept any good thoughts as I continue to think about my next step. But other than that, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm just sort of being where I'm at and We'll see what happens. <laughs> Heard that. Well, we will see what happens. I really do hope because when it comes back, just saying I've been looking for a show to get me back on stage. Uh, and with all that being said, thank you all for tuning in. I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.